So good morning, everybody, and welcome to today's webinar. My name is Lisa Rawls, and I'm a director here at Seymour Taylor. In the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to be looking at what tax changes are planned in 2022 and beyond, and also how you might prepare you and your business to minimise your tax liabilities and to plan ahead to take advantage of any of the tax opportunities that, that these changes might present. So the main topic areas that I'm going to be covering today are in relation to business tax, personal tax, and making tax digital. Get my teeth in as well. So what substantial changes are ahead for us this year? So we're going to see several significant changes to taxation, including an increased corporation tax for some companies from April 2023. There will be higher dividend tax rates from April this year. There is a continuation of the new capital allowances relief, including the super deduction. There is still a freeze on personal allowances and reliefs, and there is a further expansion on making tax digital coming in just over a month's time, or one month's time, 1st of April. So the clock is ticking, um, and it's important to utilize all the tax reliefs and allowances which are available before the 5th of April in order to minimize your tax liabilities. There are quite a lot of steps you can take to reduce a potential tax bill, but careful planning is needed. So let's start looking at what those steps are now. So looking at business tax, it is a complex area and business owners need to consider their current position before the year end. The areas that I'll be considering today are dividend taxes, corporation tax, capital allowances and research and development tax reliefs. So looking at dividend tax, have you utilised the zero rate a 0% dividend tax bad of £2,000. Uh, you may or may not be aware that the national insurance rates are rising by 1.25% from this April, which is to encompass the new health and social care levy. What has not been widely publicised is that this 1.25% rate also affects dividends. So therefore, where the tax rate on dividends was 7.5% for a basic rate taxpayer, it will now increase to 8.75%. And for the next rate up, it will go to 32, from 32.5% to 33.75%. So it may be worth considering taking a slightly higher dividend this side of the new tax year. Looking now at corporation tax, have you made use of all of the reliefs and allowances that are available to you? Some of these I will cover later, such as the capital allowances and the research and development tax credits. Um, but looking ahead, from April 2023, the rate of corporation tax is going to increase to 25%, which is an increase from 19% at the moment. This is for companies with profits over £250,000, and there will also be a new marginal relief system coming into operation. This rate of £250,000, however, is adjusted if the company's accounting period is more or less than a year, and also if the company is part of a group and has associates. Therefore, if a company had one subsidiary and each company made profits of £130,000, they would both be taxed at 25% on the excess above £125,000. Moving on to capital allowances, these can be claimed by businesses and companies as a way of reducing their taxable profits. Capital allowances are claimed by companies in place of depreciation as a way of standardising the tax system. If a company is eligible to claim capital allowances on an item, then the rate will either be 18% or 6%. If incurring expenditure on a property, relief may also be available at 3% under what is called the Structures and Builders Allowance, SBA. There are also enhanced reliefs available under the Annual Investment Allowance Regime and also the Super Deduction Regime. The Annual Investment Allowance, also known as AIA, 
is a form of tax relief for businesses that's designated for the purchase of business equipment. The AIA allows a business to deduct the total amount of qualifying capital expenditure up to a certain limit from its taxable profits in a given tax year. You can claim AIA on most plant machinery up to the AIA amount. So if your business buys a piece of equipment that qualifies for the AIA, you can deduct 100% of that cost of the asset from your business's profit before you work out how much tax is due on that profit. So this is much better obviously than the 18%, which I showed on the previous slide. The government does set a limit for how much annual investment allowance a business can claim in a year, which means that if you buy assets costing more than the limit, you won't be able to claim the AIA on all your assets. The limit was previously £200,000, but in January 2019, it was temporarily increased to £1 million, which is still effective at the moment. There are some items, however, that you cannot claim AIA on. These are cars, items that you owned for another reason before you started using them in your business, items that were given to you or your business, or where you were claiming writing down allowances instead. The next area I'm going to touch on is the new super deduction, which was introduced at the budget last year. So the budget brought in a new first year capital allowance for qualifying plant and machinery assets and for qualifying special rate assets. Special rate pool items are generally assets in relation to integral features in a property. This normally includes things such as air conditioning and also hot and cold water systems. The relief is only applicable for, for incorporated companies and applies from the 1st of April 2021 until the 31st of March 2023, so we only have one year left now to claim this. Companies investing in qualifying new plant and machinery assets will be able to claim a 130% super deduction capital allowance on qualifying plant and machinery investments or a 50% first year allowance for qualifying special rate assets. The super deduction will allow companies to cut their tax bill by up to 25p for every £1 that they invest. The idea behind this super deduction is to encourage companies to invest in productivity enhancing plant and machinery assets that will help them grow and to make those investments now. If you'd like to know any more about this area, please do visit the website or to contact one of us. On this slide, you will see an example of how the super deduction works in practice. This example is exaggerated to show the effect, but does give you a good indication of how it will work and the importance of timings. So, as you can see, if a business were to spend £5 million just one day apart on either 31st of March 2021 or the 1st of April 2021, they would be able to take advantage of the super deduction and would save themselves tax and therefore cash of just over £900,000. I'm now going to move on to looking at research and development claims. So, as a business, we support clients in a variety of sectors in claiming their research and development tax credits. Back in April 2000, HMRC launched the Research, of Research and Development Tax Relief Scheme specifically to reward UK businesses making scientific and technological developments. As it is an enhanced claim, it counts as notifiable state aid. 20 years on from its introduction, many companies who could be eligible are still failing to claim this valuable relief. Research and Development Tax Relief, or credit, is a company tax relief that can either reduce the tax bill or, for some companies, provide a cash sum. R&D credits are available to large, small, and medium-sized companies. Depending on whether the company has taxable profits, these can result in a cash repayment for the company, which helps cash flow, particularly when turnover may be minimal, or it's a reduction on a liability. So, in order to qualify for R&D tax credit, a company must be carrying on a project that seeks an advance in science or technology. It is necessary to state what the intended advance is and to show how, through the resolution of scientific or technological uncertainty, 
The project seeks to achieve this. The advance being sought must constitute an advance in the overall knowledge or capability in a field of science or technology, not just that of the company alone. So what counts as research and development expenditure? The various different categories, including direct and externally provided staff, subcontracted R&D, consumables, software trials, prototyping, and independent research costs, these may all qualify for R&D relief. Looking at them individually, direct R&D staff costs. So your company can claim for salaries, wages, class one national insurance and pension fund contributions for staff who are directly and actively engaged in the R&D project. This covers employees who undertake hands-on R&D work and the proportion of supervisory and managerial time spent specifically directing such employees in those activities. When looking at support staff costs, for example, administrative or clerical staff, these do not qualify. However, they do qualify where they relate specifically to indirect activities. Looking at subcontractor costs and externally provided R&D, these are the staff costs paid to an external agency for staff who are directly and actively engaged in the R&D project. Relief is usually given on 65% of the payments made to the staff provider. There are also special rules which apply if the company and the staff provider are connected or if they elect to be connected. Your company may also claim for the cost of software that is directly employed in the R&D activity. Where software is only partly employed in direct R&D, an appropriate apportionment should be made. And finally, consumable items. Your company can claim for the cost of items that are directly employed and consumed in qualifying R&D projects. These include materials and the proportion of water, fuel and power consumed in the R&D process. Since April 2015, the cost of materials incorporated in products that are sold are not eligible for relief. So there are obviously a number of items which do not qualify for R&D relief, and this is the cost of land, the production and distribution of goods and services, capital expenditure, such as plant and machinery. There is, however, a separate research and development allowance, which might be due on capital assets, such as plant and machinery, and buildings also, which are used for R&D activity. Also payments for the use and creation of patents and trademarks, as these are the costs of protecting the completed R&D. There is, again, another potential relief which may be available, which is in relation to patent box relief, but I'm not going to be covering that one today because that's a very complex area of tax. So HMRC has two schemes available for claiming tax relief, the small or medium-sized enterprise, otherwise known as the SME scheme, and the Research and Development Expenditure Credit Scheme, RDEX scheme. To be considered an SME by HMRC for these purposes, your business must have less than 500 staff and either a turnover of under 100 million euros or a balance sheet total under 86 million. These limits apply to your whole corporate group if you have one. The SME R&D tax relief allows companies to deduct an extra 130% of their qualifying costs from their yearly profit, as well as the normal 100% deduction to make a total 230% deduction. So for example, if a business spends 10,000 pounds on qualifying R&D expenditure, Within their tax computation, they'll be entitled to an additional £13,000 worth of relief, resulting in total relief of £23,000. The tax relief obtained on the £23,000 is £4,370, which equates to a relief of 43.7% on the initial qualifying expenditure. If the company is loss-making, you can instead claim a repayable tax credit, which is worth up to 14.5% of the surrenderable loss. 
This results in a tax relief of up to 33.35%. While the R&D tax credit scheme is a tax relief, its benefits are also numerous. For example, the recovered funds do not have to be used in any specified way, and so can be reinvested into further R&D, or can be used to purchase new machinery, materials, technologies, or just used generally to help the business grow. The RDEC scheme replaced the large company scheme back in April 2016 and does work in a very different way to the SME scheme as the credit is entered into the financial statements of a company. The RDEC must be claimed by businesses that qualify as large, but in some circumstances will also be claimed by SMEs who have been subcontracted to do R&D work by a large company or who have received a grant or subsidy for their R&D project. The credit is calculated at 13% of the company's qualifying R&D expenditure if the expenditure was incurred on or after the 1st of April 2020. Different rates applied prior to April 2020 and were either 12% or 11%, depending on when the expenditure was incurred. Again, depending on if your company is profit or loss making, the credit may be used to discharge the liability for the current year or result in a cash repayment. The RDEC is a tax credit and you can make a claim up to two years after the end of the accounting period that it relates to. So in order to make a claim, you need to, as well as calculating the figures, you need to be able to support your claim to HMRC and you need to provide a short summary that explains how your project meets HMRC's definition of R&D. So the main rules as a reminder of this are that the project looked for an advance in science or technology and aimed to achieve this advance that the project had to overcome scientific or technological uncertainty and how you overcame this, uh, this uncertainty. And finally, that it could not easily be worked out by a competent professional in the field. So I've put together this slide just with some key questions that would be helpful to consider if you are thinking of applying for R&D relief. So firstly, have you developed your own software? Potentially you have, and that will qualify. Have you developed internal processes that reduce costs and improve production time? Do you carry out any design work that enhances technology? Are you in the business of manufacturing products? Are you using technologies in a unique way? Are you combining two or more existing technologies in a way that have never previously been used? Or do you have any pending patents for products or services that could qualify? We do have a number of case studies on this area on our website. If you'd like to see any of these, please do let me or Suzanne know and we can send you these. I'm now going to be moving on to other business tax planning areas to consider. So there are a wide variety of ways for businesses to further reduce their annual tax bill while supporting the other goals such as employee recruitment and retention. So ways that this can be done are things like salaries. So considering payment of salaries to owner managers at tax efficient levels, especially with the increase of national insurance, which is coming, benefits, there are a wide range of benefits and salary sacrifice schemes available to employees and directors, such as electric cars and charging points. Electric cars are a tax efficient way of remunerating key personnel. Benefits in kind on electric cars are currently 1% and from next tax year will be increasing to 2%, which is still significantly less than petrol or diesel vehicles. EMI share schemes, so EMI stands for Enterprise Management Incentive. So these are a tax efficient way of giving shares to key staff to help retain them and to provide a sense of ownership in the company. The scheme is ideal for smaller entrepreneurial companies that might not be able to match the salaries paid elsewhere. Expenses. Have you made sure that you and your team have claimed all eligible expenses for this year? And also profit extraction. 
Are you making the best use of the opportunities through dividends to extract profits from the business? So let's now look at some personal tax planning. So there are some personal tax planning points here to reduce your tax bill. So interspouse transfers is the first one. So have you maximized capital gains and income tax rates and allowances through exempt transfers for individuals whose annual income is between 100,000 pounds and one and 125,000 pounds? This is an ideal way of reducing your tax liabilities. You could also look to exchange your salary for benefits. So consider exchanging part of your salary for payments into an approved share scheme or additional pension contributions. This is especially useful if you are earning above £100,000 and you can then look to reduce your salary below this threshold to retain your personal allowance. Dividends and bonuses. Have you considered paying these early so that they fall into the current tax year? Equally, for individuals who receive relatively low levels of taxable dividend income, it might be worth deferring dividends. It is possible to earn dividend income each year without paying tax on them. This will, however, depend on your personal circumstances. But as an example, dividends falling within the unused personal allowance are not taxed, and also dividends falling within the dividend allowance are taxed at 0%. As mentioned before, UK taxpayers are entitled to a dividend allowance of £2,000 per tax year. Anything in excess of the dividend allowance is taxed at the taxpayer's marginal rate of tax, which could be 8.75%, 33.75%, or 39.6%, depending on whether you are a basic rate, higher rate, or additional rate taxpayer. Dividends are, however, taxed at a lower rate than other non-savings income. So, director's loans. Have you used the tax-free interest amount on any loans to your business? Depending on your income levels, you could save up to £1,000. And stamp duty land tax. If you are looking to purchase a home or a second home in 2022, have you considered stamp duty? If you are purchasing an additional property to your main home, you may face a 3% surcharge on top of the current rates of stamp duty. Capital gains tax. Have you used your annual exemption for 2021 of £12,300? This rate is now frozen until 2026, so for the next four years. Um, and that's as part of a wider freeze on personal allowances. Unfortunately, with the capital gains tax annual exemption, this is not available for rolling forward or backwards. So it's under a use it or lose it system. Uh, business asset disposal relief. Now, most of you will know this as entrepreneurs relief. Um, it changed its name a couple of years ago. The lifetime limit for qualifying gains has also been reduced from £10 million down to £1 million. However, if you qualify for business asset disposal relief, then any gains will be taxed at 10% as opposed to 18%, 20% or 28%, depending on your other incomes. So it's worth seeking advice significantly before any potential disposal to discuss whether the disposal will qualify for business asset disposal relief. And if not, what could be done to change the situation? Equally, if you do currently qualify, then you want to know what the rules are so that you continue to qualify. You don't want to do something and inadvertently change your tax position so that you're not taxed at 10%. So as well as focusing on this year end, you also need to make sure that you have plans in place for the future, especially if you're among the growing number of people to be affected by inheritance tax. So here are some steps that you could consider taking. So char charitable gifting. If you have at least 10%, if you leave even, at least 10% of your net estate to a charity, a reduced rate of 36% rather than 40% applies and could save your family money. 
Speaking to some of our charity clients, they do ask that if you are going to do this, that you could let them know in, in advance so that they know what funds they have coming in the future and they can plan. There's also the annual gift allowance. You can give away a total of £3,000 worth of gifts per person every tax year without this being added to the value of your estate. The allowance can be carried over two years and if it's unused and larger gifts above this allowance will be subject to the seven-year rule. Gifts out of income. So you can also make regular gifts out of your income, which are tax-free if they're used for normal expenditure. So this could include things like paying for grandchildren's school fees, uh, passing on your pension. You could revisit your current plans and update your will to ensure that your family receives the full benefit of any remaining pension fund and also trusts. There are a huge number of different trusts available and there are many ways that a formal trust fund can protect and maximise your family's future assets. There have also been a number of changes to the treatment of trust funds recently, which are complex and could affect some people. So if this is an area of interest, please do get in touch. So looking at pensions and tax, again, obviously no one wants to see their hard-earned pension targeted by the tax man. So there are a few things that you could be considering. So in order to protect your pension, um, you should all be aware of the lifetime allowance. So this has changed considerably in the recent years and currently stand, stands at £1,073,100. Any amounts in a pension fund in excess of this will see very significant char um, charges being, being levied. So you want to make sure you are aware. The annual pension allowance. So you want to make sure that you are using this each year where you can. You can invest up to £40,000 a year into a pension tax-free. This amount can be carried over three years, allowing you to use unused allowances to top up your pension. So you could be in a position to invest up to £120,000 this tax year if you have not invested previously. However, if you think this might be relevant to you, be mindful of the end of the tax year in one month's time, as otherwise you may lose out on up to £40,000 being added to your pension fund. Stakeholder pensions. So all UK residents, including children, can make annual net contributions of £2,880 per year, which is £3,600 gross, regardless of whether they have any earnings. And pension drawdowns. So if you are 55 or over, you may be able to start drawing down your pension benefits from a personal pension, such as a SIP, even if you're still working. So you may be able to take up to 25% tax-free with the rest tax at your marginal rate in due course. There are a wide range of tax-efficient investment options which can help to reduce your liabilities. So the most common of these is ISAs. So most people are aware of cash and stocks and shares ISAs. However, you may not be aware of help-to-buy ISAs, lifetime ISAs, or child ISAs. So help-to-buy ISAs are in place specifically to assist people in purchasing property. Lifetime ISAs can be used to purchase a first home or for later life planning. And child ISAs are an efficient way of transferring value from one generation down to the next before a child reaches 18. The child can then access those funds when they hit 18 years of age. One of the main benefits of a cash ISA and their investment-based alternatives are that you won't pay any income tax or capital gains tax on your returns. Some savers choose ISAs for this reason alone, but there are also other potential advantages to consider, and they include the following. So you can withdraw funds from both cash and investment ISAs without incurring a penalty. So tax-free returns. There are also a wide range of investment choices. They are highly portable. So it is possible to switch from one provider to another to take advantage of better interest rates and deals. 
Um, you could also transfer your funds from a cash-based ISA to a stocks and shares account and vice versa if you wanted to. There are usually no extra charges within an ISA and the income you earn will not be taken into account for age-related personal allowances. And you can usually pass your ISA savings onto your spouse if you were to pass away through an inherited ISA allowance. Moving on to look at share schemes. So share option schemes are typically used as an incentive for employees. A share option is the right way to, is, a, is the right to buy a certain number of shares at a fixed price, some period of time in the future within a company. They can then keep the shares or if the market price is right, uh, they can sell them on for a profit. So SEIS, Seed Enterprise Investment Schemes, targets investments for early stage companies, those with less than two years of trading history and less than 25 employees. Individual investors, no, no companies, can invest up to £100,000 in an SEIS business per tax year. The companies can accept no more though than £150,000 in funding in total. EIS, Enterprise Investment Schemes. So EIS support larger and more established businesses, those with up to seven years worth of trading history and 250 employees. Individual or corporate investors can invest up to £1 million per tax year, and the company can accept up to £5 million per tax year, but no more than £12 million of EIS funding in total. Corporate investors in EIS do not receive any tax relief on their investments, however. Venture Capital Trust Investments, so VCTs, are investment com companies that are listed on the London Stock Exchange, and they are set up to invest in small UK businesses that meet certain criteria. They encourage and support those businesses that the government uh, are looking for and offer generous tax benefits for investing. These also reflect the higher risk nature of the companies that they invest in. Community investments. So community investments support local enterprises to improve people's lives and the communities where they operate. Small businesses are essentially in disadvantaged communities across the UK. And both as employers of local people and drivers of economic activity, the community investments are very useful for those areas. Social enterprise investments. So social enterprise investments is a repayable finance provided for charities and social enterprises. This means that it's not a grant, but is money that the investor expects to get back, mostly with interest. Life insurance bonds. Investment bonds are a type of life insurance paid for with a single lump sum deposit at the outset, rather than monthly premiums. They're sometimes known as single premium life insurance policies. Offshore bonds. So these are also known as international bonds. They are tax efficient ways for you to invest money over the medium to long term. This is usually five years or more. So with an offshore bond, you can invest a lump sum or invest regular payments. The next area that I'm going to move on to now is making tax digital. So the question, what is making tax digital? So this is HMRC's plan to digitize the tax system and requires businesses and organizations to use HMRC compliance software and reporting to be done at the moment quarterly. So some of you may be wondering what MTD that, uh, whether MTD for VAT has already got underway. Um, and the answer to that is yes, it has. Um, but only for VAT registered businesses who have turnover above the £85,000 registration threshold. So they have had to comply since April 2019. What we found is that many underestimated the preparation that was necessary, um, which did lead to problems, even as though they had an initial soft landing period, which ended in 2020. New businesses into MTD for VAT no longer get this soft landing period. So 
changes coming in in one month's time. So from April 2022, the regime is extended to all VAT registered organisations, including those below the threshold that are voluntarily registered. So you could have income of £10,000 and required to, to pre present via MTD. They must follow the same rules that organisations currently within the regime follow, including using HMRC compliance software to report and record VAT information quarterly. So in terms of what do businesses need to do to prepare for this, so businesses and organisations need to implement systems that can report and record information each quarter within the rules set out by HMRC. The software must be able to keep records in a digital form, preserve digital records in a digital form, create a VAT or tax return from the digital records held in functional compatible software, and also provide HMRC with this information digitally, provide HMRC with VAT and tax data voluntarily, and receive information from HMRC via the API platform. They must ensure that they continue to submit this information each quarter, and potentially looking forward, there may well be an annual return as well. So here is a roadmap of what has happened over the last three to five years. As you can see, there has been a, a large number of changes and it's going to be continuing going forwards. So back in April 2019, when Making Tax Digital was first introduced, it was mandatory for VAT registered businesses who had turnover above the VAT threshold to comply. They were, however, given a soft landing period where if errors were made within the submission, they were not penalised. There were also a later opt-in for some businesses, which meant that although they were over the VAT registration threshold for turnover, they did not have to comply with MTD until October 29. This was primarily aimed at groups of companies. As mentioned, the soft landing period was then removed from April last year, meaning that all new businesses falling within MTD had to comply completely from the beginning. We're now at the stage where all VAT registered businesses need to comply from next month, regardless of turnover. As you can see, over the next few years, we will see further developments within MTD for income tax due to be implemented in April 2024, and then MTD for corporation tax due in April 2026. As part of HMRC's MTD for income tax, HMRC are proposing that businesses will all need to amend their year ends to either 31st of March or the 5th of April, and as such, there will no longer be any rollover relief. Rollover relief being removed will simplify matters for many people once they are past the transfer period. However, there will only be one or two years to claim any historic rollover relief, which may take some considerable effort finding the details from HMRC, especially if the business has been operational for a number of years. My main piece of advice in relation to this area would be not to wait until we get to 2024 before considering this, ne this next step, as it is likely that much more planning and setup time will be required than you think. The software companies are all at the moment looking at various solutions of how to report this, but there are very few out there at the moment. So that does bring me to the end of my first section. So I'd now like to speak to Suzanne and see if there's been any questions which have come in um, or if you have got anything to ask now. Hi Lisa, um, we've had a couple of questions in the run-up to the webinar. Um, the first one was actually about the rise of national insurance contributions and whether you sort of thought that's definitely going to go ahead. <laughs> um, unfortunately for everybody, yes, um, it, it will be. There, there has been questioned a few times over the last month or two, especially with the, the current rates of inflation. Um, we all know people are being stung quite heavily. But there was a, an article was written a 
about a month or so ago now coined between Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson together, where I said they will definitely be going ahead. The only potential get out of jail card for them in terms of removing that would be that there is a economic status alert will be happening some point later this month. So they may decide at that point to reduce it, but I think it's probably unlikely at this stage. Okay, that's great. Um, and another question was with regards to making tax digital, which you've spoken about. Um, the individuals said they still do everything on Excel and do they need to change what they're doing now? Um, so they will need to change a little. Um, so the way that it works for VAT is that you need to make sure that you have MTD compliance software. Um, so the idea is that HMRC would like everybody to be under some form of cloud software because it's easy for everybody to access and it's easy to upload. There are, however, a number of other options available. Um, so there are some softwares out there where you can insert the data from your Excel spreadsheet into those and then they will then report the information into HMRC. So they are compliant software, but it's, it's a middle step between Excel, which you can't report directly via Excel, and then moving on to a, a software. Um, we do have a team here, um, an automation team, who may be able to assist if you've got any specific queries on that and you've got any concerns over your, your specific circumstances in the, and your software, please do get in touch and we can put you in, in contact with them directly. Um, we've also had um, a question come in. Um, can you please cover making tax digital for buy-to-let landlords? Buy-to-let landlords. Um, so buy-to-let landlords will fall under MTD in the income tax regime. So that will come in under April 24, um, as things stand. So the way that the, the revenue currently have these things, I say currently with all of this because they have moved the goalposts a few times over and they may well get delayed still, even at this stage, we don't know. Um, but as it stands, buy to let landlords, if they have turnover of over £10,000, then they will need to do the MTD for income tax in April 24. Um, and they will need to obtain software, um, similar to as I've just mentioned, to be able to report that over to the revenue. At this point in time, everything's still quite um, uncertain in terms of how it will work. We are under the, the understanding at the moment is that there will be four quarterly returns will need to be completed each year, plus an annual return at the, at the end to sort of bring everything together. So the annual return will be the equivalent of what we do at the moment for individuals um, and the four, in the four provisional returns will be going in. We don't know timescales or whether that's for definite at this point in time. Um, if there's anything sort of further specifically in relation to your, your circumstances, please just drop us your, your contact details and we can speak to you directly. Um, so the, the automation team will be able to help out very definitely in regards to what you actually need to do for your circumstances. Um, and it's still, a, it's still a moving target, unfortunately. Um, we have been told that hopefully by the end of this year, we will know some more definites on it. Um, for now, we just have these guidelines that were shown on the, on the last slide in terms of the timeframes. And another question, um, do you think they will, cre they will crease the threshold? Increase the threshold. Increase the threshold, sorry. Um, yeah, increase it some two lines. So I, I would like to think so. Um, I mean, 10, and that's a personal opinion. I don't know for definite. 10,000 pounds is low 
um, for getting somebody to to register for making tax digital, to do quarterly reporting. That could be somebody who's just got a second property that's let out during the summer for the summer season. But we don't know at this stage. I know certainly for, for VAT, it's going to everybody who is VAT registered. I think in due course, the idea is that the revenue wants everybody, regardless of the level of income, to transfer onto MTD. It's going to take them some time. But for now, all we know is £10,000. That's that's the limit we've been told. Thank you, Lisa. Um, a question about regarding the personal gift allowance of £3,000 per year, how many people can benefit from it? And do they have to be family members? Um, and, and specifically, can my son-in-law benefit? Um, so there's no limit in the number of people that, that could go to. So it's if you've got, say, a very large family with, with 500 family members, they could all have that. Um, equally, if there's only one person, it's still just the £3,000. Um, a son-in-law would definitely qualify, so that would be absolutely fine. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Um, we've had a question. Where can I find more info on R&D, tax relief and credit? Um, so in in, it depends what, what information you're after. So in terms of we do a number of R&D claims here ourselves. So we've got some um, case studies of different examples that we've prepared over the, the last few years that we can give you that. Um, alternatively, if you want to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with me, um, I do a lot of the R&D claims here. Please just drop drop me an email um, or give me a call and we can have a, a separate discussion. My, my details are on the next slide. So I'll pause on the next slide and, and you can take them down and we can, we can do it that way. Um, say alternatively if you just want a copy of the of the, um, the case studies again that's absolutely fine we can do that provide that over to you I was going to say actually Lisa we can email a copy of the R&D case studies over to the individual that had that question okay. can't we Correct. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely fine um, I don't I think that is the end of the questions um, I don't think there's any other questions unless anybody's got anything else they want to ask oh we've got one other um, can R&D be claimed retrospectively um it can within the, the normal regime for making an, an amended tax return generally for companies. So for companies, if I, I'll use a December year end because it's always easier for everybody. So if you are on a December 21 year end, um, you your normal timeframe is to complete the return by December 22. You've then got one additional year to make an amendment. So you've got until December 23. So the same limits apply for an R&D. So you could, at this point, you could be looking to go back and do an amended return. Um, I actually had a client, I was doing that on just the other week, um, that, that they are looking at R&D claims on. So yeah, you can go back under the normal normal amendment scheme. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Perfect. Well, if there is anything else, obviously, please do get in touch. I'm just going to move on to the next slide. And you have got my contact details here. Um, so that's my direct dial. If you want to contact me, please, please do. Um, that's also my, my email address. Um, again, if there's anything, contact me. Or if you're already an, an existing client, you know, feel free to contact your normal client and the, your normal contacts, and then they can speak to me. Obviously, they'll have the, your specific details. Um, so you know, nobody wants to pay too much tax or be penalized for falling foul of the new rules. Um, so, you know, make sure you try and keep, keep your affairs in order um, and we can help to minimise your tax bill.
So as a business, we provide regular updates on areas such as tax, um, audit as well, and making tax digital. So to keep in the know, please do follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, and you can also access our webinars and blogs via our website at www.stca.co.uk, um, which cover a range of helpful topics. Um, so last thing for me to say is just thank you very much, everyone, for attending. Um, please do get in touch if you'd like to discuss anything further. Um, I'd like to say thank you for being here.